Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'm burn out. Hi guys, welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. I am your host, Kinsey Elizabeth. I hope you guys like the new cover art. I am so happy about it. I have not felt like the cover art I had previously really represented me ever, like at all. But I love what we have going with the new art. I feel like it's way more me, way more kind of chill. My like wannabe Cameron Diaz self, you know, I feel like that really comes through in this cover art. So I'm happy that it's changed. Anyways, happy Thanksgiving, guys. I just wanted to say I'm so grateful for you guys and I just love you guys so much. I think my podcast community, it's some of my favorite people. You guys are so engaged. You guys are just so nice. I get so many DMs. I love getting tagged in your stories. Um, speaking of something that I wanna start doing, at least through the holiday season, is at the end of the episode, I will be doing a little giveaway, okay? So to stay tuned until the very end of the episode, it's really easy and you guys get it like today. So it's super quick super fun. Be sure to stay tuned. Anyways, today's episode is my favorite of the month. It is our book club episode. So in the later half of today's episode, we have Lauren Elizabeth or Miss Lauren Elizabeth collection, as I like to call her on We Read, We Were Liars. You guys will hear all about that when she comes on. She's one of my favorite people, really good friend of mine. Absolutely love her, adore her. We'll talk about her later, actually, because she's actually in my things I've been loving section. So we'll talk about that soon. But before we get into that, I wanted to do a little kind of mini episode on the holiday survival guide. I personally am someone who absolutely loves the holiday season. I actually set my tree up on November 1st. There is Christmas music playing in my house, honestly, all the time. I am just literally the biggest Christmas person I think there possibly could be. Like I am the person that everyone hates and that's fine. I'm okay with it. This is my true form. I just love the holiday season. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. I love the people. Obviously this year is so different, which is really sad, but I just wanted to talk about kind of a holiday survival guide because one, this is a harder year than most, but even without that, I feel like there's so much added pressure around the holiday season and just like high expectations of what the days will be. And I don't know. I feel like Sometimes you get holiday blues and seasonal depression is a very real thing. I actually have seasonal depression opposite. I've talked about this in the podcast so many times, but I thrive in the winter and fall seasons, but I do not do well in summer. I don't know what it is, but it is just absolutely miserable for me, guys. So I personally don't deal with seasonal depression in the sense of it being fall and winter, but I know so many of you guys do. And I am no mental health expert. I just share my experiences. I have had my fair share of, you know, anxiety and depression. And I talk about mental health a lot on this podcast. So I did just want to talk a little bit about holiday blues 
And also just family dynamics. Oh my gosh, guys. Like I come from a family of, it's like blended family, right? So both my parents are remarried. I technically, I have eight siblings, seven still living. So I know a thing or two about family dynamics, okay? And I think it gets really tense sometimes around the holidays. It can get kind of hard. It's hard to like please everyone. And, you know, then you add on an election. And I'm sure a lot of you guys don't have the same, you know, political beliefs as your parents. And that's a really hard thing. Or even like your uncle or whoever you're around. Emotions are heightened. I think, you know, there's seasonal depression on top of that. We have really high expectations of the day and maybe even of people or what our life is going to look like. And when it's the end of such a hard year, you know, it can be hard. Also, I just want to say like, I'm someone who really thrives off of a routine. If you guys have ever listened to this podcast before, you guys know that. And when I would come home from college to my parents' house during the holiday season, I didn't have a room anymore. My parents just kicked me out. It's fine. No, I'm kidding. But I didn't have a room anymore. So that was hard because I would never really fully unpack in the times that I did and I actually organized my room that I was staying in, I felt so much better and established a little bit of a routine, but it's really easy in the holiday season to come home and become an absolute slob. And listen, I'm actually promoting going to do that, but I am going to give you guys a few tips in order to actually have energy. Cause I don't know about you guys, but whenever I went home, I would always be so tired, just not feeling my best, obviously not eating my best. Cause it's a holiday season. Like what's well, not, not the time, you know? So I'm just giving you a few tips. The first one would be establish a routine at home. So I don't mean like doing a crazy, even 7 a.m. morning routine. I just mean having something that you do, whether that's just going on a walk with your dog and drinking coffee or getting like hot lemon water and maybe reading in the morning, being doing something. It can be the smallest thing, even your skincare to where you don't just become an absolute slob. Because for me, when I become an absolute slob, my mental health kind of goes out the door. And we're trying to be very proactive about this. We're trying to make sure that we are in the best headspace so that we can feel our best and be our best and also be our best around hard conversations with family. I really recommend getting organized and making yourself at home. So make sure that you unpack things and that you make sure you're not living out of a suitcase for two weeks because that can be kind of miserable. And just making sure your room is a little bit more organized and you're not just living in like a pigsty, right? So we're gonna get organized and we're gonna have a small little routine, whatever it is to make us feel like we have a little bit more control over our day. We're not just waking up at four as slobs and then eating like trash and then wondering why we feel so depressed. You know what I mean? Like we're going to do a few small things, nothing too crazy to make us feel a little bit better and a little bit more like ourselves so that we are, you know, taking on the world in a better way, you know? And that goes for anyone. You don't just have to be visiting someone's house, even at your own. I feel like I can easily just be all over the place and be just be such a mess in the holiday season. And it's really important for me to, even though my schedule is crazy and even though my routines and stuff are definitely off, just having something small in the morning that kind of grounds me has really helped. Okay, next thing. Now is a time to dive into hobbies. Listen, I have talked about this before, but 2020 is the year of hobbies for me, okay? We already know this. I have recently become a quilter. I've read almost, actually, I think I've read over 100 books at this point in 2020. I started gardening. I started cooking, things like that. Um, because before I didn't really have the time for that, right? And then COVID hit and obviously I had so much more time. And even though currently we're not on this like really, really strict quarantine, I'm still, 
you know, we're still staying at home a lot more. And honestly, I'm such a homebody as is. So just getting to the point where I am not stuck in LA traffic all day, every day has really opened up some time for me to do some hobbies. Okay. So do something like whatever it is. I'm sure you guys have something that you've been wanting to do, whether it's like learn a new recipe, read a new book, do a new puzzle. Those piecework puzzles guys are so freaking cute. They're an anthro. I was sent one like a month ago and they are so cute. I'm bringing it. Um, I want to do it on Thanksgiving. So that's my plan. But I love those. Those are amazing. I feel like anthropology and so many stores have made like card games and board games and puzzles and stuff so cute and trendy now because obviously it's 2020. So what else are you doing? I just really love that. So dive into some hobbies. Also find a series to binge. So I'm someone who is really bad about watching Netflix. But with that being said, guys, yesterday, it was Sunday, okay? Sunday afternoon. I finished Dash and Lily, which I gotta say, I absolutely loved that show. It is cheesy for sure. It is so unrealistic, but it's one of those cheesy holiday like TV series. And I feel like most of the time they're just cheesy holiday movies. So I loved the series. I would really truly recommend. I did watch that. So if you guys are looking for a new series, I finally have one to recommend. Also, I just started Designated Survivor, which I'm so excited for. My friend Morgan told me about it. I love shows like that. Like Scandal is one of my favorite shows. Fitz, my dog is literally named after Fitz from Scandal. Love that show. Designated Survivor essentially is, there's a designated survivor. This is a real thing, apparently. I don't want to spoil it for you guys. So watch the show. Essentially, they're at like State of the Union. They have to keep one person behind so that if there was something catastrophic to happen, they would have one, you know, designated survivor to then take over the presidency. So that happens. And then it's a story. I'm only at episode three, but I love it so far. And it's actually keeping me hooked. And as someone who's really bad at watching series, that is one thing. I also want to watch Queen's Gambit. I've heard that's really good. There's just so many shows right now, you know? Look at me go, guys. I'm just proud that I started watching something, you know? All right, guys, a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Thread Wallets. So in 2020, I become quite the walker. I walk to everything, coffee, going to like outdoor wine bars, um, things like that. I'm always out the door, especially with my dogs. And I don't want to carry a big purse, especially when I'm just like walking down the street. I don't want to carry a bunch of stuff. So that's why Thread Wallets has really come in handy. It's the perfect way to carry your cards and other essentials. They have super slim wallets that are super cute, but also very functional. They attach to your keys, your gym passes. They also have lip balm holders. Guys, best thing ever, right? And are the perfect companion to anyone who hates carrying around a bulky clutch or purse. So Thread Wallets is redefining the way you carry you with their wallets, lanyards, lip balms, and crossbody bags. They're mixing functionality and expression to create the perfect extension of who you are. On the shelf, the hook in your bag or pocket, Thread Wallets will hold it together while you do your thing. Get free shipping on any purchase of $35 or more. Just go to threadwallets.com slash discount slash Kinsey15 to get 15% off your first purchase. That is threadwallets.com slash discount slash Kinsey15 for 15% off your first purchase. These also make really good gifts for this season. So definitely check them out with my discount code. I hope you guys are enjoying the episode and let's get back to it. My fourth and final tip is geared towards just, you know, different dynamics, different people, different opinions. This is such a hard year to have different opinions. I get it. Trust me. But it's really important to know, like, personally, I've only ever had good experiences and conversations when I approach them in a calm manner. I don't think you are ever going to get someone to understand your side and believe you and understand and, and honestly more so gain empathy if you're not approaching them in a calm manner, because the second that it gets heated and you're just kind of dismissing them or they're dismissing you, like 
neither one of you is hearing the other out, right? So if you're in a position where you're having a really hard conversation this year, just make sure you're going about it in a very calm, kind of humble manner. Even it's so hard to say that when it's literally so hard to do this this year, I get it. And then if you feel like you can't have those conversations at that moment, just dismiss yourself and then come back to it and be like, hey, you know what? I don't think that we can really have a healthy conversation right now. Let's rain check this. Let's talk about this tomorrow. Like, I think that we will be in a better place. I do think it's important to have conversations regarding, you know, race and racism and things like that with your family. But make sure you're going about it in a way that they will hopefully actually hear you out rather than going off on them. And trust me, guys, this is very hard to do. I get it. But just a little thought. I don't know. I think about this all the time about how important it is with your tone to get your point across. Also, it's just really important to have boundaries with your family. There's so much family drama, family conflict. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but it's just important to have boundaries and just be like, you know what? I actually don't like when you say this, or I really don't like when you say this about someone or it makes me feel this way. Or, you know, can we please maybe just not talk about that today? Things like that. It's really important to have strong boundaries. So those are just a few of my holiday stress, anxiety, routine, family dynamic tips. I am more than willing to give more if you guys need more, okay? Looping back to books, which we were already talking about, we actually are reading a new book for December, obviously for our book club. We are reading In a Holidays by Christina Lauren. I have heard so many good things about this book. So many of you guys have been requesting it. So it's a fun little rom-com holiday book and Dominique Roberts is reading it with us. She doesn't read often. So really her coming on is just, it's going to be quite the ordeal. So you guys definitely want to read this book and then it'll be going up. I think on Christmas Eve will be the episode. So be sure to go check out the book, read it, buy it, do whatever you need to do, come back. And then we will discuss with Dom. Anyways, I think it's going to be a really fun, a little cute, heartwarming holiday read, which is what I was looking for, for our December read. So I'm excited for it. Going into things I am loving so much for the holiday season. These are also a few tools I think that will be really helpful for you. The first being a therapy journal. So there's this therapy journals or therapy notebooks online. Essentially it's CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy. A lot of just normal therapists use this on a day-to-day like speech therapist and really, really, really helpful. You guys don't have access to a therapist or maybe you just need the journal to just work through day-to-day things. It takes you through kind of things that you're anxious about. And it'll take you through this exercise. One, the book is really cute and it looks good on your nightstand, okay? Two, it actually does help you work through things in a way that you actually can just use on a day-to-day basis without even having the journal. So if therapy is not something that's maybe accessible to you right now, or you're just kind of holding off or whatever it is, I would definitely recommend these notebooks because they are very cool. I have one and I think it's awesome. I got it originally to see if I would like it to recommend to you guys. And I really do love it. So I think that would be a really good thing to have for the holiday season, especially just wrapping up this year. The next thing, I've talked about this before in the podcast, but I am absolutely obsessed with my recess drinks, okay? They are hemp drinks. As someone who struggles with anxiety often, I think that these have helped my anxiety more than anything. And I'm talking like more than meds, guys. I love these drinks. One, they taste good. Two, they just calm me down like no other. You're still fully coherent. Like you're not like super tired or anything like that, but it just calms my nerves, calms my anxiety. And I just feel so much better. I love having them. Every single night when I'm cooking or making dinner or whatever I'm up to, I will pour a recess drink over ice in a glass and just kind of have a good experience with it but it just calms me down. I really love it. You guys can use 
I believe it's code Kenzie 15 for 15% off, or maybe it's just Kenzie for 15% off, but they're really good. Try a sampler pack so you can see which flavors you like. I like the blackberry chai, I think the best, but I really recommend those, especially in the holiday season. I have been living in my Uggs. I know that we're not surprised. So we're done with the tools that are going to help you clearly, but I know we're not surprised. I've been living in my mini Uggs. Okay, guys, I actually dress right now, currently at 23, graduating college in within weeks, how I would have dressed as a sophomore in high school. Like you should see what I've been wearing lately and you wouldn't be that impressed. Okay. It's very like Cameron Diaz in the holiday, Cameron Diaz and my sister's keeper, uh, like mini Uggs, jeans, long cardigans, all cozy. You know, it is what it is. Okay, guys, I'm owning it. I love it. It's fine. But I've been absolutely living in my Uggs. And I just don't think that there will be a day in my life when I don't wear Uggs. I'm talking like 85. Of course, I have just been using my barefoot trains blankets nonstop and just candles. That's a no brainer. I have, I think like 10 barefoot trains blankets. Life hack, I always get them at Nordstrom Rack because they're only, they're 50% off at Nordstrom Rack. So they're way less expensive. Obviously that's a really good deal. They are the softest blankets ever. I have so many. They're so good for when you have company too, because they just are the best blankets ever. And everyone's like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with this. They're also a really good gift. I got my best friend one for her birthday and she says she uses it all the time. And she is so hard to shop for. She doesn't really wear makeup. She doesn't really dress up much. Like she's very chill, loves to be cozy, things like that. She's a very low maintenance sort of gal, okay? Got her this Barefoot Dreams blanket and she actually loves it. She's so hard to shop for. So this is a really good gift. Anyways, been loving that in my candles. I just love being cozy this time, you know? I have like quite the thing for outerwear, okay guys? I wear, like it's my favorite thing to shop for outerwear. I love coats. I love puffers. I love everything. Right now in my office, I just got a new coat. I have a puffer next to me. Like I have so much outerwear. It's not even funny. So if you guys want maybe an Instagram reel or something where I do kind of an outerwear collection, maybe even a YouTube video, I don't know. Let me know. You guys can also just follow me on Instagram. I can see Elizabeth. I'm constantly sharing outfits and just things that I picked up recently. Or if you guys just want direct links immediately to what I'm wearing, you guys can just follow my like to know it profile. You just download the app and my username is just Kenzie Elizabeth. That's also where I'm sharing all of my gift guides. So if you guys need gift guides, I am currently, I think working on my 12th and they're all on my like to know it profile. So definitely go follow me on there. Guys, we need to talk about my Starbucks order and the holiday season. Okay, this is technically not a seasonal drink. I'm aware. I know this, okay? It is seasonal to me. I only allow myself to get it in the holiday time because it's just a holiday drink to me through and through, okay? So I get a ice, well, obviously ice. I get a vanilla sweet cream cold brew, sub vanilla for peppermint. So essentially it's a peppermint sweet cream cold brew, okay? I am posting this on my feed, on Instagram, and there's a TikTok of it. So if you guys need to go back when you're at Starbucks, either check out my TikTok, Conceals with Hay, or just my Instagram, and you guys can see it because I get it every day. Like as soon as I finish recording this podcast, I'm going to get it because it is the best drink ever. It puts me in the absolute best mood. And this time of year, I'm just such a Starbucks girl. I can't lie. I mean, it is what it is. Like holiday drinks, you you got me there, you know? Like I'm just obsessed. You have to try this drink though. It's really, really good. Last but not least, things I'm loving for this holiday season, Lauren Elizabeth collection. I have to say, yes, Lauren is one of my favorite people. Yes, she's a really great friend of mine. I absolutely love her and adore her. I would say this if she wasn't my friend, okay? Also, I buy this stuff on my own. Like I always make sure I'm buying my friend's stuff. I think that is really important. Side note, like I am Twin Flame's number one customer. I am Lauren Elizabeth's collection number one customer. Like you got to support your friends, okay? But even if I absolutely love and adore Lauren and she wasn't a great friend of mine, I would say this. 
Guys, it is so cute. As someone who is like a loungewear fanatic, it's all I wear, all I want. We've said, how many times have I said cozy already in this episode? You know what I mean? This stuff is so, so good, okay? It is so cute. The quality is incredible. The price point is incredible. It is so good for what she's selling. Like these pieces on other websites could literally be like $300, guys. I don't think you realize how good of a deal this is. So go check out Lauren Elizabeth Collection on LA Collective. I have it linked in the description below. Also, this weekend's Black Friday. I don't know if there's sales going on. Sorry, Lauren, um, but check it out, guys. All right, so without further ado, we are going to get into the book club portion of today's episode, which is on We Were Liars. I hope you guys enjoyed. Lauren and I read this book together this past month and I will definitely have her on again. So just let me know what book you guys want us to read. We actually both really love thrillers. So I think that that would be a good idea as well. But anyways, without further ado, let's get on into the episode. Hello, Lauren. Hello, Kenzie. This is quite the episode. I'm glad that you have the same perspective on this book. Yeah, we we did chat before. We have chatted. We have chatted a little bit. And when I first finished the book, I was a little bit worried that you were going to hate me for making you read this book because we have the exact same taste in everything. So I knew that you were also not going to like it. So I was a little bit worried, but I'm glad that we're on the same page. Okay, but here's the thing. I've never gotten so many DMs in my lifetime about how quote unquote amazing this book is. And I felt like I read it for 30 seconds and I was just like, that's it. I completely agree. I have never had a book be so hyped up in my DMs. And that's after sharing about probably 70 to 100 books in 2020. I've never gotten more DMs. So listen, if you're one of those people and you love this book, I'm so happy for you. I just don't know why. We are definitely the minority, Lauren. Like, oh, 100%. I was reading this and I just kept thinking like, oh, it's going to get better. Oh, it's going to get better. And then all of a sudden it was over. Like on Kindle, the book ended at 90%. And so I thought I had another 10% to go and that was it. Oh, wait, do you have the Oasis? You do, right? Yeah. Well, so my Kindle ended at like 83%. And so I was like, oh, I have to finish this book really quick because I basically read it in a day. And then I had like a few pages left and I was like, oh, 83%. So, and every DM was like, wait till the ending. I was bawling, crying. And it's like, yes, like it was a nice like twist, but like, I guess I wasn't, I was waiting for another one. And so like, listen, like I'm not happy that we didn't like it. Like I'm not like thrilled to announce that we are the minority. I feel like we should like maybe do some like book questions and maybe we'll open our mind up, you know? Yes, yes. And I was reading over these. I have gathered some questions. I'm actually going to give a little bio for those of you who haven't read the book. You know, (laughs) after we're like, you know, saying it's the worst thing ever. But I have a theory as to why everyone loves this book because most people who DM'd me, and I'm talking, honestly, I've got hundreds of DMs about this book. Same. Most people who DM me who were saying it's the best book they've ever read, whatever, said they read it years ago. Hmm. So maybe it's one of those things where, you know, when you watch a show when you're in the eighth grade and you think it's the best thing ever, and then you read it as an adult and you realize that it's trash. Hmm. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Do you not think that's a possibility? I mean, it's just weird because like, even on Kindle, it has like five stars. So like maybe it's like because it's so well written, even though it's not my favorite style of like, like, you know how like sometimes you're like switching back and forth between characters and like you figure out more that like maybe someone's thinking of something in their head. Like there was Woman in the Window. Did you read that? No. Oh, I think you would like it actually. And it's like basically, spoiler alert, like the 
perspective switches at the end and you realize like what you were reading was something else or something. And I feel like it was maybe kind of like that. And that also wasn't like my favorite at the time, but I feel like if I reread it, I would really like it. This wasn't my style of like when it broke up and it was like, there were three princesses and one King. I read a few of those and I was like, this really isn't giving me any information. Like it's just like showing that there's like a great writer and, but it wasn't like giving me any insight to what was actually going on. It was just repetitive to me, honestly. I for sure agree with you. It was not my style of writing. And maybe if it was a different style of writing, I would have enjoyed the like storyline more. It just wasn't like my cup of tea. And I really thought it was going to be because so many people were obsessed. So, okay. Basically, if you guys haven't read the book, I'm just reading straight up off the about page, a beautiful and distinguished family, a private island, a brilliant damaged girl, a passionate political boy, a group of four friends, the liars whose friendship turns destructive, a revolution, an accident, a secret, lies upon lies, true love, the truth. No. You know what? No, no. You read that about and you're like, this is it. Like this book is going to be amazing, but you do not get the juice. You literally get like a chapter of juice, but like, it's like, I wanted more. And ugh, I'm sorry. I'm just so frustrated with this book. Cause like, that's a good bio. It really is. The detailed plot summary goes on and it's Cadence Sinclair. She's an heiress to a fortune her grandfather amassed doing business I never bothered to understand is the narrator. Essentially, they go to Beechwood every summer and essentially something happens there. She has an accident. Beechwood is like their private island, which is like, well, not island, but like they have the whole family has houses. They go there every summer. The four, are they cousins? Yeah. So the three of them are cousins and then Gat is their friend. Yes. But Gat is the nephew of Aunt Carrie's longtime boyfriend that their grandfather doesn't like, I'm pretty sure. Also, the privilege in like subtle racism is never resolved, which also is annoying. Yeah, very annoying. And that's actually in this thing. So we're going to go ahead. Maybe this will like open our minds more to the book. It just was a really big disappointment and a time that I felt as though I really needed a good read. Yes. So guys, next month, I'm going to have to kill it with the pig. Okay. Yeah. All right. Describe the Sinclairs. In what way are their family experiences unique? In what ways are they like most other families? How do they deal with deaths, addictions, and tragedies that afflict all types of families? So basically describing the Sinclairs, which is the family that goes to their beach houses every summer. They're essentially white, privileged, I would say like- Out of touch. Definitely racist, out of touch. And, you know, sometimes there's resolution in that. And I don't think there really ever was. But I think the two things that were interesting is one, the way that they handle like the addiction or like the crime or whatever is obviously they cover it up, right? It's a very interesting thing of like, even within the family, you always have to act like you're perfect and you're okay. And usually sometimes you could like be more like, confrontational and like aware, like in conversations behind closed doors. And like, they're not, they're very much like, I have to just act like I'm perfect to my grandpa and perfect to my mom. And I just have to nod and say, everything's okay when it's not. But the only thing they have in common is like every family has drama. Like every family has a certain way of living, but like personally in my family, when there's any like drama or like, yes, we all have each other's back. And like, whenever we get into crises, we help each other. And there's like, you know, that like secretive, like, okay, like we got this, but we're completely candid about it. Like, I don't have to pretend like I'm okay to my grandpa. 
Yeah, I think my family could actually say a little bit less, you know, dude, 100% like literally let's do less. Like the pandemic couldn't have come at a better time. To be honest, I sent a DM saying it was a meme. It said, are you really going to risk getting COVID and killing people just to eat potatoes with your ugly fucking family? And I was like, that's so funny. I was like, no, I'm not. And then there was the other one. Did you see? It was like, for the first time, if you really hate your family, you should show up to Thanksgiving. (laughs) I did see that. And it's like, I don't hate my family. I love my family, but the drama, the opinions, the yelling, the, it's just like, it's so much. It's like a classic family Thanksgiving and Christmas where it's like, oh my God, can everyone do less? Like, honestly, like we could learn a thing or two from like acting nice but you probably don't enjoy it as much. It's just not real. No, exactly. I agree. And it's one of those things where I think they're clearly a very unhealthy family. They don't deal with anything. They don't talk to each other. They're essentially just like arguing over the house that they want in the will. It was just very out of touch, but I think there are families, like I have friends who literally do not talk to their family about anything or like there, mm-hmm. there's so many things that I know about their family and it's just not addressed. And I'm like, that is crazy to me because my family is the exact opposite. But the family is just like really out of touch, afraid of the grandfather because the grandfather essentially is like holding money over their heads mm. and he's racist. So yeah. And it's interesting that the like money is obviously like, yes, like let's say you're a trust fund baby. Like your parents are like, you have to go to college or you don't get your inheritance or whatever. But like the way that they handle it and like the way that the aunts like fight about everything, it's very, very like old school conservative. I even had a thought of like, it's kind of like gossip girl. Like remember when Serena would like talk to her mom, but it's like, you saw action from the characters in gossip girl. Like they acted out and they did those things. Yes, at the end of the book, they did something, but it's like, you didn't really get any of that throughout. It was very like, okay, keep your head down. Pretend like you're da-da-da. It's like, no, like fucking speak up. Okay, in what ways does her father's abandonment of their family impact cadence? What was inferred about his choice to no longer live as part of the Sinclair family? Okay, Lauren, this is like one of those things that I'm sure went just right right over my head. It's like the first few pages of the book. But do you remember when she's describing her dad leaving and then says that he just shot her in the chest? Oh my God. I almost forgot about that. I'm literally sitting there reading this and I'm like, he shot you? Like the first few chapters, dude, it was the first few chapters. It was like, and then he would see my cuts and I would be bleeding and he would let me bleed all over him. And it took me like a few scenarios of this like dramatic gushing blood constantly to be like, oh, these are like metaphors. And this is like the style of writing of like describing. And I was just like, okay. But it just wasn't one of those things that you immediately picked up on because there wasn't context yet. Like you're so early in the book. It really seemed like matter of fact at first. And I was like, wait, what? Like it was so weird. I went back. I literally went back just to see like if there was a very obvious metaphor that I just like, because I read so fast, like maybe I skipped over it. And I was like, no, like she literally just point blank says he shot me in the chest and left. And I was like, did you go to the ER? Like what's going on? Literally, apparently not. I just felt like her dad left because the family was crazy and the pressure is probably too much. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that happens all the time. Like one of the biggest problems in relationships can be like morals and financials. And it's like when you don't agree with the family and the in-laws become such a problem and money is getting held over people's heads, like 
yeah, you don't want to like live that way. I mean, listen, father abandonment is horrendous. It affects you for the rest of your life, but it didn't seem like crazy horrible, but maybe I don't remember. Well, and also then you find out that the grandfather, which we'll talk about this, but the grandfather paid for their trip to Europe the next summer when she had to quote unquote get away. So random. So weird. Okay. What role does Cadence's grandfather play in the story? How does his role as a patriarch of the family define the choices made by his children and grandchildren? To what extent is he to blame for the shortcomings of others? He literally is like the second main character of the book. Like the grandfather literally controls the entire narrative because He's the one holding everything above their heads. He's the one that sets these high expectations. He's the one that pays for all the houses. And even in those like little excerpts that I didn't like where it was like, there was a king, there were three princesses. Like it was always about him. And so he really drives everything in the book because everyone's basing their choices and their voice and decisions off this grandfather. And I feel like, He's the most integral part of the book because of that. And he technically is to blame for all that stuff because he's what drives everyone crazy and he's what drives everyone to their breaking point. So like if he was a patriarch in a more healthy way, it would have never happened. I think he's really completely to blame from the smallest things to like their communication levels and like hiding how they feel to you know, the big deal, which ends up being a fire, which ends up killing three of the four. Cadence survives it. And then the other three die. So dumb, by the way. First of all, I just want everyone to know that I'm very tired today. And so I probably sound really weird, but it's so stupid. Let's just talk about the fire. Okay. Explain the fire to the listeners at this point. Okay. So here's what happens. So Essentially, you could predict the fire in the beginning of the book because the house is being rebuilt, but you don't really understand that much if you're a quick reader like me and when you're just like kind of like trying to get into it and you're not really like what's important, what's not important. So basically, at the end of the book, you realize that the young cousins, so the main character and the three others that they call themselves the liars, which obviously is the most apparent thing ever because everyone's lying. Their entire life is a lie because they don't express any real emotion or choice or voice. And they get fed up with it and they're like losing their minds because of all the ants fighting about the inheritance and the grandpa. And so they're like, fuck this place, let's burn it down. And they finally get pushed to their breaking point and they decide to actually do it. And they burn down the main home because there's four homes, one for each aunt and then one for the grandpa. And obviously the grandpa's house is the patriarch. So that's more symbolic of like which house to burn down. And so they decide to burn the house down, clearly mentally not in a solid place, but pushed to the edge. And you realize like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, like that's the crime. Like they're covering it up. But like no one really faced consequences. They wouldn't have if they all survived. Like there's no way they would have reported it. There's no way that they would have like done anything. Which is partly why they did it because they knew that there weren't going to be consequences. Exactly. And so you realize once the story starts getting more clear that when they set the fire, the four liars, Cadence accidentally lights her section of the house that she's supposed to light on fire first, blocking the other three kids to actually get out of the house. And it's this very like dark 
scenario where she's like, I'm trying to get out of the house. I realize that no one's outside. I go back inside ish to look for them. And I just see them all behind the flames, staring at me, realizing they can't get out. Okay. So you're telling me that there were three people in the house that was burning down. How could you have lit a section of the house and realized everything suddenly was on fire? You didn't time it right. Okay, fine. I'll let that happen. But then you realize there's these three people and you see them behind the fire, according to you. Okay, so they're not burning alive yet. Why are we not calling and trying to get these people out of the fire? Like, why is this just so dramatic and dark and there was no attempt to get them out of the, the you just watched them burn? Makes no sense. It was so bizarre. Absolutely so bizarre. And I don't know, not that I'm, you know, really a fire expert, Yeah, I'm not really uh, Mm -hmm. arsonist and I'm not really keen on setting houses on fires with my cousin, but that's just not a mistake that I would make. You'd think that when you're about to set an entire like multi-million dollar estate on fire with your family in it, you would think that you would be like more careful to not, I don't know, literally murder the other three in the house. And it's like, like you said, like it's a multi-billion dollar estate. So like how quickly did your section burn where it got to the other section where they're standing? Why are all three of them together and not you? You're by yourself. And it's like, did you ever watch This Is Us? Uh, Yeah, my favorite show. Okay, so when their house is burning down in This Is Us, and they've realized like someone's stuck or something's happening. Like that whole scene is how a real fire happens. Like you go back in, you pull someone out, like you go off the roof. Like that's realistic. This was just so, I understand it's like the style of writing and it's like a book and it's not like that, but it's just like, it was just kind of like, really? They all died? Like, really? I don't know what is so weird and confusing to me. So essentially that happens in what summer 15 or 17 or whatever. We'll say it happens in summer 15, just for timeline. I think it was 18. Okay. We'll do 18, right? So in summer 18, that happens. What I remember reading is that she like drowned. Yes. But then she went in and what she was so upset about and like couldn't let go of was that Gat was with her and then Gat left her. Mm. So she was so angry at Gat, which actually... Now that I think about that, that is like a grieving thing. A lot of the time people will be so angry at the person who died, mm. regardless of obviously it not being their fault. That's so so I, I see that now, but it was just so weird. And then for the next two years, so the next summer, she doesn't go back. She ends up going to Europe with her father. Because she got hurt and she lost her memory. Yeah. The following summer. So that would be two summers after the original accident. She goes back to Beachwood and she keeps asking people what happened. But the writer is like the liars are there. So she's talking to the liars. She's begging them. And then obviously when you're looking back at the end of the story, I think the reason people think that this is like the craziest book ever is the twist. And they're like, oh, they were actually ghosts and all this stuff. But I'm like, it just doesn't, I don't know. It was just so weird. And no one will tell her what happened, which they claim it's because they tried to at the beginning after her accident. And then every day she would have to like relive remembering that her three best friends were dead But it was just so weird. And I'm like, you would think after two years, they would just sit her down and like she would beg them to ask and they wouldn't. And then she was just like talking to these ghosts. That's like the whole liars and like everything's okay thing, because it's like this person wants to know what's going on. And everyone that's younger is like, oh, our aunt said we couldn't tell you. And so it's like, where's the communication and like the clarity And she obviously has like extreme migraines and memory loss and all these issues. And like you said, at the beginning of the book, we think it's because she like hit her head on a rock or something. It was in the ocean and like drowned. And you spend the whole time in the book trying to figure out what happened. 
and spending time with quote unquote, the ghosts of the liars just to find out that they're dead and that she's kind of to blame and started the fire. And it's just kind of interesting that everything that happens in the beginning of the book, like really doesn't make sense. It's just kind of developing her voice. And then when you actually start figuring stuff out, you spend the whole book of them, like not saying anything and you really don't learn anything until that chapter. In my opinion, I agree. It's like, obviously we're not fans, but it was just weird. And I kept expecting a bigger twist Mm -hmm. and I don't know exactly what I thought was going to happen, but it was just weird. Also another thing. So Cadence was in love with Gat, who is not her cousin. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) Gat is essentially just the friend that was brought along, but he's really the nephew of her aunt's boyfriend Mm -hmm. who the grandfather is racist and doesn't like. In Cadence, they go through and they have these conversations and she really likes him. And he has a conversation with her. Like, I am always going to be the odd one out. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just a very apparent conversation about race. And he's like, I'm always going to be the odd one out. He basically names one of the housekeepers I guess this housekeeper or the gardener, whoever, someone that's like staffed at the house was also black. And he was comparing it to the housekeeper, something along those lines. And then says, you know, this person, it's the same thing with them. And Cadence is like, who? And she's like, they've literally been staffed at this house since you were born and you don't know their names. This is exactly my point. I mean, yeah, like that was like super fucked up too. And I think the thing that pissed me off about like the race and the financial stuff is that like there was even that one line where Gat said and, you know, she was trying so hard to like understand why they weren't together, why he left. And, you know, obviously you figured out that he died, but there was still no kind of clarity there and like losing love or making it work. And I think it was just like there was even that line where Ed, who was the actual uncle, so Gat's dad essentially comes back to the house and she's like, oh, like granddad, like Ed's back. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, and you don't like him. And he's like, yeah. And so it's like, for me, I'm just like, okay, so we're not going to solve the racism and we're not going to solve the privilege just also financially. And he was like, you don't know my apartment. Like, you don't know where I live. Like Gat was saying, like, you don't understand. You don't know me outside of this house. I don't want to be a part of this family. I'll never fit in. And there was no voice of reason to be like stop being racist I would have liked it if honestly they weren't actually dead or even if they were getting a few extra chapters of her and Gat like actually being like okay learn the housekeeper's names and come see my place in New York like let's see if this does work out of Beachwood and like I know that's not what the book was for but for me the type of books I like reading I think the fact that there was just one like solid story that we were like, took so long to figure out. I would have liked more actual solution and all the other things about voice, privilege, race, just all that stuff. I understand that that's not the point of the book and it was subtle pointing out how bad it was, but I don't know. I feel like her and Gat, like the whole book was about how she's so in love with him. And then you just realize that there's no solution even before that you've realized that he's dead. And then you just realize he's dead and there's really no solution of how she continues to live her life. Yes, none at all. It's so interesting because it's like the antagonist of the book is if you have to pin it down to a person, I would say it's the grandfather. Yeah. But more than anything, I think it's like their family dynamic and Mm -hmm. system, like the privilege they have, the inheritance, the greed, the materialism. Yeah. It's really manipulating like 
that whole dynamic, like no one is set up for success. You're, you're just going to continue to like breed things, which is the problem with things like privilege and race is that like racist typically raise more racist. You're not born a racist. You learn how to be a racist. And that's what's fucked up because you can unlearn things and you can teach people new things. And yes, essentially the fire was supposed to be that closure we were looking for of like rebelling against exactly what you just said. But in my opinion, I don't think it really actually solved the problem because you saw the summer that you just read, you realized was when they were all ghosts and dead and they were still fighting about the inheritance. They're still freaking out about the kitchen. Maybe not as extreme, but like uh, they are. Yeah, that's the worst part because you look back at it and you realize that them losing two kids in their family, one very close friend doesn't really change anything. So I feel like the book, there's no like conclusion to it. Nothing is really changed. There's no happy ending. Yeah, there's no happy ending. It just doesn't show that these characters have been even affected by the death. And I know that that was just, you know, as a reader and from her perspective, she didn't know that that had even happened. Right. But it's also one of those things where it's like, it's so bizarre And also like you would think there would be some sort of, and I know the family is just wealthy enough to just cover this and whatever, but like the family knows that the kids set the house on fire. Yeah. Like they know that like she was a part of it and that these kids died from this. So it's just like, how do you like work through that? You know, I understand that, you know, it's thought provoking and maybe it does get you riled up about the kind of family dynamics and race and privilege and the inheritance and all that stuff. And so I hope that people that read it saw how fucked up it was, even though there wasn't solution in the way that like we like reading a book, there's no happy ending in the way that we like reading a book. Like, listen, I don't mind reading a sad story. And I understand that not everything has a happy ending and like is a fairy tale, but you know, like books are escape and like, yes, I'd like them to be thought provoking and provoke emotion, which this clearly has. I hope that other people that read it like see at least without clear conclusion of those things, which like we would have preferred. I at least hope that it was like thought provoking and also just you could see it clearly of like, oh, I don't want to raise a family this way. Like, I don't want to be like that. Like it's clearly wrong, even though they don't solve it. Maybe at least it affects the readers to solve it in their own life or have those conversations. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe it is a more realistic view coming from a family of that grade of wealth who are that like emotionally stunted, who don't talk about things. It shows like how ingrained it is in them, even through not just one death, but threes. Yeah. Yeah. Even like the biggest trauma, it doesn't really change much. And they're still fighting about the same things, which is sad. Last question. What do you feel Cadence comes to learn at the end of the novel? In your opinion, what insights are gained? What I relate to is kind of what you said of like, yes, this is reality. Like a lot of families can't change. It's ingrained in them. It was very realistic besides the dying, talking to ghost parts. Realistic in the sense of like, that's how some people function in their lives. And maybe she learned what we learned in the same way of like pushing those boundaries of trying to rebuild her memory and not taking everything's okay for an answer and like really pushing against some of her family dynamics, not in the way that I would prefer, but it is realistic. Some people, you know, they're not going to like do the most, which whatever. So maybe she did learn the same things that we did of like love lost and tragedy and family dynamics and pushing the boundaries and kind of not 
fitting to the mold and trying to be your own person. And I mean, that's kind of all I can really think of. I don't really exactly remember like the last page of the book because I was so angry. Same. I don't really have anything to say about what I feel like she's learned. I wish that we would have gotten maybe like a bird's eye view two year later chapter. Yes, exactly. That would have added a lot to the book and a lot from what you took away from it. Because a lot of it's up. I, I wouldn't even say it's really up for interpretation because it's not like you really saw much change throughout the book as is, as we've said. It's very clear throughout the book. It's not like you had to like interpret anything besides like maybe just the writing style of getting shot and then you, no one was actually shot. But yeah, I feel like it's like, it's very obvious. And I guess that it's the type of book that kind of lays it out for you, but doesn't like do the bird's eye view type of thing. And it's up for interpretation. I think the reason people liked it was like there was such a twist, but I think maybe it just wasn't our kind of twist. Yeah. And honestly, I look back at maybe my eighth grade self, maybe in the Gossip Girl era too. And maybe I would have liked this book better had I read it 10 years ago. I think you're Um, right. But it just, it wasn't for me, not my cup of tea. You know, this is really unfortunate because Lauren and I have read a lot of books together. I wish we would have done a book that we had liked, but we'll have to do another at some point. Maybe we have bad taste in books. No, we don't because no, that just isn't possible. Because like I'm thinking and I'm like couple next door, the last message perish. Like there's so many books and like maybe I just like more like murder. I don't know. Like I'm not going to sit over here and be like, I'm a novelist. Like I only read like high end books. Oh no, I definitely don't. But that doesn't mean you don't have bad taste. Like it just depends. I like switching it up sometimes, you know, like reading something nonfiction, reading something fiction, like reading, maybe like switching up my thrillers with some romance. Like I'm going to do some Colleen Hoover. Love. Colleen Hoover is honestly one of my favorite authors. That's very young adultish for what I typically read, but I love Colleen Hoover. I only do it for like romance because it's like a quick, easy, like, yes, it's a comfort read. Feel good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we should maybe do another book. I'll read one with you again because I don't have to come back on the podcast because I'm sure no one wants me to now. We will read another book together to really just kind of ease our mind, body and soul. Yeah, we're going to have to. Well, thank you so much for coming on Miss Lauren Elizabeth Collection over here. I literally cannot call you anything other than Miss Lauren Elizabeth Collection now. (laughs) I love that so much. I think it really rolls off the tongue, honestly. It really does. So you're welcome for the new name. Thank you. Okay, so where can they find you? Okay, so you can just type in Instagram, Lauren Elizabeth. And in my bio, you will also find my podcast, which is Mood with Lauren Elizabeth. Kenzie and I have done a couple episodes together. We talk everything like lifestyle, wellness, mental health, all in a real way. Not like woo, woo, woo. It's like we learn how to love ourselves in a not lame way. It's really fabulous. And then I have my clothing line, which is Lauren Elizabeth Collection. And you can get some extra cozy, amazing loungewear. I'm wearing my knit leggings right now, having the time of my life. So just search Lauren Elizabeth and follow along with the podcast and the clothing line. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like I said, we are doing giveaways at the end of every episode. So I will be picking four lucky winners and I will be buying Starbucks on me today, guys. So you guys can go out and get your vanilla sweet cream cold brews sub vanilla for peppermint, okay? So all you have to do is follow Sim podcast on Instagram and post a story of you listening to today's podcast. Tag me, Kenzie Elizabeth, and the podcast. I will be sliding into four lucky winners DMs and sending you guys a little virtual Starbucks gift card so you guys can just scan it and then you're good to go. So 
Love you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you guys haven't already, join the mailing list, subscribe to the podcast, leave a nice review. And yeah, I think that's it. Love you guys so much. And I will talk to you next week.